Mr. Mulligan, Mr. Mulligan, to the principal's office, please, Mr. Mulligan. Hey, man, I'll trade you a bubblegum cherry vape for a cotton candy raspberry vape. Listen, I don't care what your vegetarian diet says, you'll eat the sloppy joe and like it. Yeah, my dad actually works for Nintendo. No, Where the Red Fern Grows was not a book about learning how to grow ferns. It was actually about dogs. Oh, your dog ate your homework, huh? It's not the first time I heard that one. You're getting a zero for this unit unless you bring it in tomorrow. Dude, I went to church camp over the summer and there was this girl who totally let me pee at her. So you just kind of take the uh, the condom and put it all in the banana, and you uh, you roll it. Make sure you put it on the roll side, and you roll it, and then that's how you put the condom on. Oh, my brother's gonna kill me! What did I do with that Pokemon card? May 2009, Westside Primary is in a state of transition. Beloved principal Langston Murphy has just announced his retirement, effective at the end of the school year. His job will be taken over by Vice Principal Marty Knowles, and this impending replacement hangs over the student body like a storm cloud. In the classroom of fifth grade teacher Ash Jamison, there is an overwhelming restless energy. Children are jostling each other, passing notes. Some are even playing footsie under the desk. Anything to avoid paying attention to the lesson on the Gettysburg Address being taught to them from the front of the classroom. It is a Friday afternoon, and the bell will ring soon. The weekend is upon them. Terry Furness, age 10, has Saturday tickets to see Transformers Revenge of the Fallen with his dad and brother Patrick. He can barely stay seated, he's so excited. Suddenly, he's struck by a random thought. During recess, he had taken out a binder of Pokemon cards to show to his friends. These cards have been collected over the course of five years, from Target to Walmart, even from the local comic book shop downtown. Brought to an appraiser, the collection could net Terry more than $60, over 50% of which comes from his prized Hall of Foil Charizard. He checks his desk for the binder, hoping that he absentmindedly stored it away after lunch. No such luck. When his class lines up for the bus, he checks his backpack. The cards aren't there either. He checks the lunchroom. Nothing. Terry's collection was stolen. Welcome to Upshot Season 3. This season we'll be looking at the disappearance of Terry Furness's treasured Pokemon card collection, and the chaos that followed. So, Noah, what made this stuff so impactful to the students of Westside? For anyone of elementary school age, there are few things more valuable than a Pokemon card collection. Since 1996, Pokemon cards have become the defining currency of children across the country, even the world. Inside every trading card pack, there is the chance for glory, holofoil, rare cards, only available to collectors with the right mix of perseverance, luck, and allowance. And Terry was one of those lucky ones. In 2007, using money saved up from weeks of taking out the garbage, 
He opened a pack promoting the recent Diamond and Pearl Pokemon games. He was hoping for a Monferno, or maybe a Diglett. Instead, he discovered the Holy Grail of the elementary school circuit, a Holofoil Charizard, 140 HP, 190 damage flamethrower attack, and a 2 energy retreat. Despite many unsighted claims that Blastoise or Typhlosion are cooler, Charizard remains the crown jewel of any Pokemon card collector's collection. When Terry opened the pack, he could hardly believe it. He ran, overflowing with joy to tell his older brother, who remarked only that Pokemon was for babies. But his friends didn't see it that way. Terry was the most popular kid in school for nearly three weeks. Yeah, so clearly there was some prestige attached to that Charizard card. That's why Terry was taking it out to show everyone. But... We're here to explore the unique factors that led to the card's theft, along with the rest of the collection. And I really don't think you can begin to talk about that without first talking about Principal Murphy's retirement. For sure. That retirement really changed everything. Obviously, with the power structure of the school in a period of instability, there's going to be increased horseplay, maybe even some foolishness or shenanigans. But it goes deeper than just a peaceful transfer of power. Murphy had been principal since many of these kids' older brothers and sisters were in elementary school. Hell, some of their babysitters went to school under the Murphy regime. The years of Knowles have been obscured to scholars and students alike, but Murphy's regime was fondly remembered by many students while despised by the parental and administrative elite. Everything from Murphy's attire, his casual Fridays, and his quoting of Eminem during the pep rally spelled trouble and unseriousness for the adults of Westside Primary. His popularity with the students kept him on his throne for a long time, but after getting caught on an April hot mic calling Karen Astor, the PTA president, a bitch, he was forced to step down in disgrace. Knowles, his replacement, was less permissive of misbehavior. He was known for being a real hard-ass, a stickler for the rules, and enough of these kids have been sent to his office to know that. So we're looking at some real last days in paradise behavior coming from these kids, you know, getting out all the fighting and yelling that they know are going to be severely cut down on next year. Yeah. I mean, if you know that acting out right now is going to get you a talking to and doing the same thing is going to get you a week's worth of lunch detention in a couple months, obviously you're going to steal those Pokemon cards now. It's honestly surprising that they hadn't been taken sooner. And obviously there's the racial element, you know, it's 2009, we as a nation are still getting used to the reality of our first black president. Totally, a president who I, Noah Coleman, want to fully acknowledge, did nothing wrong over the course of his two terms. And in the background of this seismic political shift, Westside Primary is going through its own racial reckoning. See, Vice Principal Marty Knowles is an Italian-American in the classic sense. Gelled back hair, bracelets, suntan, with an attitude to match. Grew up on Staten Island before getting his master's in educational admin from the University of Bridgeport. Now he's all the way out here, administrating educationally in Allentown. It's a culture shock, to say the least. But let's jump back to Terry. It's now math class, and Terry is full of panic, anger, fear. His prized possession, the key to his popularity, and the coolest thing ever has been stolen. He wants to cry and scream, but he remembers that crying is for girls. Cooler heads must prevail. He instead flips over to a blank piece of his graph paper and begins jotting down a list of suspects. By the end of class, Terry would unfortunately still believe that a diamond and a rhombus were the same thing. But he would have a working list of potential candidates for theft. I think it makes the most sense to go through the suspects one by one. We'll start with the ones who were there when he was showing off the cards, then some of the less likely ones, and then spend a little time on the ones that make no sense, but he was just angry at them for some reason. First up is Colby Carmichael. He's a tough one to talk about. 
makes sense why he's the first on Terry's list. 12 years old, 5 foot 5, rough home life. He's what the teachers call a detention magnet. Since the beginning of the school year, he had racked up 23 detentions, 40 lunch detentions, and two school suspensions. A bad customer, if there ever was one. I think we can just read his transcripts here. Uh, this one was taken from when he had to see Mr. Harrington after class. Do you know why I've asked you here? No. I think you know why. I don't. Do you think you said something inappropriate? I mean, I guess. Was it nice to call Christian a slut? It's fucking true. Colby. Her name is Christian with two Y's. That's just science. Colby, this is not- I saw kissing Steve though! I saw it! Remember what we talked about? Minding our own business? <sighs> yeah. And is it ever right to use mean words, even if we think we're right? No. That's right. I'm gonna have to give you a detention- No! No, please! No! No! But if you can apologize, I think you won't need to see the vice principal. Okay. A history of crime, family issues, and a desire to avoid more trouble makes Colby Carmichael a viable suspect in almost any unsolved act of mischief in Westside Primary. But he's not the only one. Not by any means. Enter Parker.com. Parker seems, on the surface, to be your model student. Straight A's, participating in class, first chair recorder player. But to those who knew him closely, as Terry did, Parker had an eye for mischief. Five separate times, he held magnets up to the school's new IMAX. He was never once suspected. He once googled Jessica Alba during computer class, but was wise enough to do so on Gary Marilyn's computer. Gary punched Parker in the chest so hard it knocked him out of his chair. Gary was the only one who received a punishment. Parker walked away with nothing but a talk about using our good judgment hats. I bet the teachers thought that was more charming and cool than anything. He'll probably be a really evil lawyer someday. Who else is on the list? Up next was a strange one. Gunther Albrecht, a recent exchange student from the land of Germany. He was, by teacher decree, friends with Terry, Colby, Parker, the rest. They all thought he was strange, having never met someone from a developing nation before. But if they left him out, they risked losing recess for a week. Clearly not a prospect that any of them were too excited about. Gunther was unaware of the significance of the Pokemon cards, as they had nothing like them in his godless barbarian kingdom. But he ooed and awed along with the rest of the kids, and he even refrained from trying to eat them, the bright colors reminding him of the sucrose-rich fruits of his homeland, until Terry had left. Finally, we have Sarah Dursert. While Sarah was present during the Charizard exhibition, she had told her friend that Pokemon was, quote, kind of weird, and previously had declined a playdate with Terry. Hardly a prime suspect, but Terry had his reasons. Intelligence discovered since the incident seems to indicate that Terry had a crush on Sarah, although both parties denied to this very day. The evidence seems pretty airtight, though. At least half a dozen instances of pigtail pulling, hearts found drawn in the corner of a number of classified documents, classic stuff. A source close to Terry, who provided information to investigators under the promise of anonymity, assured investigators that on multiple occasions... When he heard that song, the K-I-S-S-I-N-G one, he would just, like, blush and not even deny it. 
you probably heard that song with his and Sarah's names in it like 20 times and you ever said like, ew, gross, or I hate girls or anything. I don't even know if he even got his cootie shot. Also on the list was Mike Yardley, who wasn't even there when the Pokemon cards were shown. However, after having learned the word in health class, Mike had called Terry a vagina in the hallway three days earlier. Clearly, both boys were unaware of the words true meaning and context. Mike was actually not present at school on the day of the theft. He was at home, having been stricken with a case of strep throat. Eyewitnesses say that a week prior, he had been caught licking the basin of a water fountain on a dare. Mike never recovered and died of complications soon after. That finishes the list. Now, all Terry had to do was investigate. School was over in four hours, and with the long weekend approaching fast, he knew he had to act quickly. The first thing he did, naturally, was corner Sarah in the hallway between social studies class and the bathroom. After trying and failing to make her eat a bug, Terry remembered why he had confronted Sarah in the first place. With the force of a dozen prepubescents, he asked Sarah what she had done with the cards. When she responded with confusion, he asked again, only more whiny and louder. Sarah simply restated her low opinion of Pokemon cards and insisted that she didn't touch them. What happens next is unclear. Multiple sources state that heated nuh-uhs and yes-you-dids were slung back and forth, but no transcript was taken. What is known is that by the time Tanner Feebly, a 21-year-old instructional assistant, broke up the argument in some form or fashion, both were in tears. Ugly tears, too. Lots of snot dripping, both of their faces looking like moldy peaches, the kind that fell off a tree three weeks ago, and they're sitting on the ground, half brown, wet, with little holes eaten into them by ants and worms. Noah, that's disgusting. Anyways, Tanner knew Sarah was a solid student and only asked her once as a precaution. Sarah shook her head. Then he simply told the two to take some deep breaths and say sorry to each other. There's a lot of apologies in this story, but not many answers. And I can tell with a lot of these apologies, they don't really mean it. But even if Sarah did steal the cards, Terry wasn't going to figure it out by asking. So he put this plan on pause as he walked back to math class. It seems like he didn't really try much of anything. He just yelled at her for a minute and then called her an asshat under his breath. Terry didn't have what you would call problem-solving skills. Most of his talents revolved around, quote, owning Pokemon cards and, quote, calling people an asshead. Next on the list was Gunter, if you were going in backwards order, which apparently Terry was. Most of Gunter's day was spent away from the other students taught in a padded room that protected the student body from his primal fury and lack of civilized socialization. Given that most kids weren't allowed within 15 feet of his special room, finding a way to confront him was difficult. Luckily for Terry, Mr. Vogel, Gunther's assigned teacher handler, was taking a lunch break while Terry was prowling the school grounds. Vogel was a 10-year veteran of the U.S. Armed Forces, which is why he was put in charge of handling Gunther's brute animal strength. Vogel was also a well-known alcoholic, most likely from the death and bloodshed he had seen during his time as a health services comptroller in Granada. Because of this, his lunch breaks usually lasted around four hours and occasionally resulted in a DUI. Gunther would be left alone for the rest of the day. So Terry sneaks into Gunther's room and starts to ask him a battery of questions. Where are the cards? What did you do with them? Why did you take them? And so on. And he's doing it in a tone that is visibly making Gunther angry, 
even though he can't really understand a civilized tongue. And he's rattling the bars on his cage. He's spitting. It's a whole scene. By this point, Terry realizes that he's not going to get any straight answers from Gunter while he's in the cage. So after doing a cursory search for the cards around the room, in Mr. Vogel's desk, on the bookshelves, in the leather sack that Gunter used to carry around his things, he determines that the cards are either not here or they're on Gunter's body. Terry's trying to figure out how he's going to play this. Gunter's already frothing mad. He's shaking the bars so hard that they're making noise. Terry's scared that someone can hear from the hallway, somebody who might come in and check what's going on, so he's got to move fast. The key isn't that hard to find, but before he can use it to unlock the cage, Terry has to soothe Gunter's savage rage. On the smart board, he searches YouTube for a lullaby from Gunter's Bavarian homeland. After five minutes of intense research, he lands on an old folk song, Pussy Uber Party Time, by the band Das Istich. Like the mighty lion, Gunther is soothed by this music. He stops rattling the bars. He pats down the straw that lines his cage, walking in a circle three times, and falls fast asleep. Terry takes the opportunity to search Gunther's pockets, socks, shoes, everywhere. He doesn't find the entire collection. But hidden just under the hideous flap at the front of his lederhosen, Terry finds his first clue. An Arcanine card, 100 HP, with a comical bite mark in the top corner. See, Gunter hadn't taken the entire collection, but clearly he knew who had. In this card, the Arcanine with a perfect cartoon bite mark. Like we're talking five perfectly spaced circles in the shape of a mouth. Like if you can imagine Homer Simpson taking a bite out of a donut, or maybe a large hoagie, it would look like that. Almost exactly. Negligible difference between this bite mark and the bite mark that pops into your head when I say cartoon bite mark. Um, wait, where was I? The Arcanine card. Uh, right, yeah, sorry, yeah, thank you. The card was a clue. The culprit was somewhere in the school, having obviously bribed Gunther's primitive ape-like mind with the brightly colored piece of cardboard that so reminded him of the fruits his tribe and him picked from the bushes and trees of the Deutschland and so on. Only one student in the school was smart enough to have come up with that plan. Parker.com, the school's one and only nerd. Terry knew who he had to question next. But then while he was on the way to question Parker, he just happened to run into Colby Carmichael. So he was like, fuck it, why don't I do this one first? Kind of serendipitous like that, you know? Sometimes stuff just falls into place. Terry had to be careful, though, as Colby had a reputation. There had been rumors that he'd been stapling magazines to kids he didn't like, and at least one younger brother reported seeing him kill a rabbit with a rock. If Colby had the cards, how could Terry even get them back? Colby was the size of a medium-sized dog scaled up to people size. Not too big, but, you know, perhaps 70-pound Rottweiler. And very mean. Noah, I'm really going to have to ask you to stop with these similes. They're, they're really bad. Anyways, Terry hatched a clever plan. They had another class together, a long one. And Colby had a habit of going to the bathroom every single class for, like, 15 minutes. Like, the teachers kept having to go get him because they would think he was, like, cutting class or smoking in the bathroom or something. But then they'd always find him just, like, standing and looking at the wall. Not even graffiti on the walls, which would still be weird, but at least understandable. He was just staring at a sheet of white wall for minutes at a time. Sometimes he would say little things under his breath. Not even actual words, really. Just noises. During these episodes, his backpack was left unattended in the classroom. And given that Colby was a foot taller than Terry and left a trail of dead animals behind him like some grotesque slipknot adaptation of Hansel and Gretel, 
it seemed like the safer option to check it while he was in the bathroom. When social studies finally began, like clockwork, Colby snatched the bathroom pass from the back of the classroom. Wait, hold up. Social studies just started? I thought that's where Terry was going like two kids ago. Yeah, for some reason it took like 20 minutes in between that last class and social studies. Because we're just like roaming the hall, getting into fights and snapping each other's training bars and shit. Pretty terrible. Like the mealtime in maximum security prison bad. I'm pretty sure the school had a couple gangs formed in those 20 minutes. But not scary gangs. Cute kid gangs. Like one of them was the peewee football team. And another would be the choir kids. You know, the kind of thing you would see on, um, what's that show? Community? Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just like Community. Wild. The teacher didn't even stop Colby from going to the bathroom at this point. It was just accepted that he was going to lumber his way Godzilla-like to the back of the classroom, snap up the bathroom pass. Which, in this instance, was a huge rock with a wooden plank tied to it. Impossible to actually carry, kids basically rolled it down the hallway every time they wanted to go to the bathroom. You know, I actually have a lot of opinions about the bathroom pass arms race that's been going on for the past two decades. No, there's no way that can be true. No, I agree. It's gotten pretty ridiculous. I read about this one school in Baton Rouge that made kids bring a whole toilet seat with them to the bathroom. Like, they would have lost anything smaller. Wait, really? A whole toilet seat? Yeah, no, a whole toilet. It's fucking, yeah, the entire thing. It's kind of insane. Can you two, like, both shut the fuck up for a second? Sure. Yeah, I'm sorry. Thank you. Jesus. Okay, where was I? You just said snap up the bathroom pass. Oh, hey, speaking about bathroom passes, the kids in my job... Shut up! Shut the fuck up! He grabbed the bathroom pass and left. To the bathroom. That's all you terrorists needed to let me say. Holy shit. Spencer, you good, bro? I actually think I need a minute here. Christ. Why did I decide to do a podcast with you fucking people? You okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. Once Colby was gone, it was just a matter of getting inside his backpack. Terry did a fake face, just a little one. The teacher, Mildred Himmelfarb, a 30-year veteran of the Allentown City School District, knew this trick. You can't just one sneeze your way into the tissue box in her classroom. You needed some finesse. You needed to put on a show. After he had let out that first sneeze, Terry waited. He gave it some time, maybe two or three minutes, before he let out another three sneezes in quick succession. Mrs. Himmelfarb is looking in his direction warily. She knows his game, or so she thinks. She's seen tissue hogs before, so he really puts some elbow grease into it. He rubs the bridge of his nose, wipes a nostril with the back of his hand, really hamming it up. He sneezes loudly, like a rocket blast, so loudly that the rest of the class turns their attention to him. Then he clinches it. He hesitates, almost like he's embarrassed to ask to get a tissue. He's got Himmelfarb now. If she refuses, the rest of the class will side with Terry, and they'll get nothing done for the rest of the period. Is she willing to condemn them all to no recess and a catch-up day tomorrow? She's trapped by the performance of a lifetime. If Daniel Day-Lewis were there, looking in through a window or something, he would say, That sneezing kid reminds me of myself. When I was in the fifth grade, only instead of discovering a childhood infatuation with thespianism that blossoms into a lifelong love of the theater arts, he's sneezing. Jesus, Noah, really? Yeah, I stayed quiet before, but these fucking suck. Himmelfarb had been outplayed. 
Resigned to her decision, she let Terry leave her immediate line of sight to grab a tissue, and unbeknownst to her, secretly dig through Colby's backpack. Terry only had a few brief seconds to dig through Colby's backpack, so he got to work. He found a lot of knives, a centipede kept in a Tupperware container, and a copy of Aragon by Christopher Paolini. This kid sucks. Why do you know the author of Aragon by heart? Terry also found a Pokemon card. It was a Klefki. The one that's just keys? The very same. This kid sucks. At least, Terry could tell that it had once been a Pokemon card. Now it was torn to shreds, viciously, like it had been attacked by a dog or a hound. All right, he's winning me back. Terry spent his last two seconds in the backpack tearing through it to find the rest of his cards. But there weren't any. The trail had once again gone cold. Terry meekly zipped up Colby's backpack and mentally scratched Colby off his list. He was running out of suspects, and the long weekend was approaching. The rest of class went by without incident. Colby lumbered back to class 20 minutes later and spent the rest of the class tearing apart his notebook, one piece of paper at a time. When social studies finally ended, Terry ran through a mental checklist. Gunter and Colby had turned up nothing but clues, but where were these clues leading him? To Parker or to Sarah again? Terry saw Sarah again at the drinking fountain before science class. Now, this time he was going to need a new strategy. The teachers were watching him, and another incident with Sarah would get his card flipped to red, his parents called, and maybe even get him an in-school suspension. He'd need a better way to interrogate Sarah, a more friendly, indirect way. Maybe he could get a friend to ask her for him. Maybe he could just check and- He just called her an asset again, didn't he? Yep. No surprise. That didn't work, obviously. And just for good measure, he also looked in Sarah's locker. He probably should have done that first, honestly. He didn't find any Pokemon cards in there. He did find a note from Carter Culpepper, who is way less cool than Terry, and doesn't even have a Charizard. And one time, I saw him crying in class about his parents, who were divorced. So it's not even a big deal that Sarah likes him. She probably just feels sorry for him. Pause, what were you doing in an elementary school? But anyway, going on, that left just one person who could have taken the cards. Parker.com. But Parker would be a hard kid to get one over on, let alone get a hold of. Terry couldn't tell a teacher because Parker had well-known ties to teachers. He couldn't pull a stunt like he had with Colby because Parker never let his backpack leave his sight. And unlike Gunter, he was not kept in any sort of cage. This one was Terry's hardest challenge yet. Parker's inroads with the faculty, however, provided one weakness for Terry. You see, while it hadn't been made official yet, Pokemon cards were in the process of being banned at school. An early indicator of the tumultuous relationship with the student body that would characterize Principal Noel's tenure. While teachers were left up to their own discretion until the ban came down a few months later, most opted to just tell kids to put those Pokemon cards away, please. But Parker's science teacher was a different story. Enter Larry Lupini. Lupini? <laughs> Is he a magician or something? Like a Chris Angel or whatever? No, no, he's... Like, is he like a David Blaine type? Uh, a David Copperfield? Is he at all similar to the illustrious Magical Davids? If you just give me a chance... Uh, this, this Larry Lupini, is he sort of a pen and teller? Or more of a Siegfried and or Roy? Jesus, I'll do it. Larry Lupini was the detention king of Westside Primary. 
Oh, not a magician. Not a magician at all. Dress code violations. Chairs leaned back in. Even talking out of turn were all things that could get you sent to detention in Lupini's classroom. And it wasn't because he was an old-fashioned or authoritarian. Larry just enjoyed giving out detentions. He even kept a counter up on his board of detentions given per week. The record was 23. And his thoughts on Pokemon cards? Buddy, you have no idea. Larry had first been made aware of Pokemon cards a few months earlier, when a student was flipping through his binder during class instead of learning about mitosis. Larry then told the class that any Pokemon card spotted would be cause for an immediate detention and a week-long confiscation of the offending card. This would rank among the most draconian measures ever induced in Westside primary history, alongside the great paper fortune teller hand thing ban of 2003. Terry knew that Parker's near spotless behavior record must never be tarnished. A single detention could cause greater scrutiny from teachers and ruin his whole charade. If Terry were to tattletale on Parker, then Larry, perhaps the only... Wait, sorry, Larry and Terry? Seriously? I mean, you can just call him Lupini if you want. I mean, I guess, but seriously? Yeah, it's like they're actual names. I, I gotta be, I don't understand why you're so hung up on this. I think it's just kind of stupid. Okay, well, I don't know what's going on, but I don't really think this is about the names. Like, you've been weird all day. It's, frankly, there's something going on in your personal life, and I really think you need to stop bringing it into the episode. All right. Do you need Noah to take over from here? If he could for a bit, that would be great. All right, Noah. I'm sorry, I'm thinking about magicians. Holy shit, I live in a world of children. Terry formulated a plan. He would threaten to go to Lupini with the Pokemon card theft story. Lupini liked Parker, but he was more than happy to give star students their first attention. More than, more than happy. Almost like he got off on it. You know, the power, the sacrifice of innocence, the violent initiation of the goody two-shoe into the secret delinquent Xanadu in which the bad kids had made their psychic home. Regardless of whether or not Parker had the card, both would be forced to undergo full backpack inspections. If the cards turned up in Parker's backpack, game over. If not, Terry would be at most liable for one detention. And even then, this would be getting a direct hit on Parker. The accusation alone would be enough to tarnish Parker's reputation in Lupini's eyes. So did Terry go to Lupini and Tattletale? Well, not quite. He instead cornered Parker in the hallway and threatened to tattle unless Terry could get a look through Parker's backpack and locker. Parker tried to weasel his way out, but Terry held firm with the threats. Eventually, Parker relented and showed Terry the goods. Not in that way, pervert. He meant in his backpack and locker. Parker's backpack had a dead animal in it. But again, only one card. Who was doing this? How was one card from his collection ending up in every suspect's backpack? Who was distributing them? It's a head-scratcher for sure. And Terry's running out of time. Because if the long weekend comes up, then, well, those cards may as well have been sold to charity. Wait, wait, hold up. There's another dead animal? Yeah, Parker's a weird dude, I guess. But the worst part, however, suddenly dawned on Terry. He was out of suspects, which means that whoever stole the card was someone he had never even considered. And with over a hundred other kids at Westside Primary, his search got much, much harder. Wait, let me go back to the animal in the backpack. What kind of animal was it? Was it like a bug or something? A squirrel. Wait, 
a squirrel? How did he kill it? A rock or something. I don't know. Wait, how did he catch it? Fucking with his hand. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Wait, when did he do this? When did he find the time? Why did why he put the fuck it in his backpack? Why is this bugging you so much? We have a fucking why show to do. Why is it bugging you? It's a dead animal. Why are you interrupting those dead fucking animals? animals the... Like every week, Upshot is proud to be brought to you by these amazing sponsors. Feeling down? Feeling sad? You won't after a six-month subscription to Better Brain the internet's number one AI-powered therapy service. At BetterBrain, users can talk to a licensed mental health software for a fraction of the cost of real therapy and come out feeling twice as happy. Disclaimer, while BetterBrain is legally permitted to write prescriptions, users should use discretion in determining whether or not they have been prescribed actual medicine. The NFL is coming back for another season, and the Monarch Butterfly looks like it's about to start its migration. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to make some money off of both of those things? At Lone Shark, you can place bets on anything you can imagine. From March Madness to April Showers. Anytime, place. If you have been previously treated for gambling addiction, our friends at Lone Shark ask that you do not include your actual name or social security number while signing up. Finally, we would like to announce that our longtime sponsor, the Central Intelligence Agency of the United States of America, We'll be holding a recruitment drive at the George Bush Center for Intelligence in Langley, Virginia. Applicants are encouraged to bring their own suit and gun and must be able to provide proof of employment in at least two destabilized African nations. Terry decided that if he was going to get any results, he was going to have to skip class. Skipping class might sound commonplace to college students and delinquents of the world, but at Westside Primary, this was a serious offense. A double detention on first offense, and that was if you were caught on school property. Outside of school, well, there hadn't been an offense like that in nearly 10 years, for a reason. Terry had an unremarkable behavior record. He had only gotten one detention for passing notes in class. He and a friend had gotten into a heated argument as to whether shit or bitch was the worst word. It's shit without question, by the way. I don't know. It's the only woman on the podcast. I think I can make a case for bitch. But even so. If it was cunt, if it was cunt, I'd agree with you. Bitch isn't that bad. I'm not even sure you're allowed to say that. But Bitch is the fifth grade cunt. It's okay. Even so, a double detention could be ruinous for even an unremarkable student. His parents would revoke screen time for two weeks, at least. Next week's new episode of Castle would be watched by his parents alone. Dessert privileges? Gone. Gameplay privileges, gone. But compared to the loss of his Charizard card, the single most important piece of cardboard in his life, well, these were nothing. So, tired, frightened, and strung out, mourning his 140 HP fire type with the dolorous heartache of a widow, Terry strode into that great abyss of a school to find his card or get detention trying. This has been Upshot, starring... Ty Wood, Spencer Ryder, and Noah Colwyn. Thank you for listening. Watch out, oh yeah, cause this is where we live today. I said look out, here it comes, cause this is where we live today.